All right, good morning. This is day 38 of um, Doc Scott's Revival Talk. And uh, what is today? Tuesday. Excellent. So, you know, um, I want to tell you all about a podcast series. Um, I've ac- recently had um, all of the podcasts. I did a series a little while back on um, No More Cycles, which is kind of like breaking out of shame and um you know what what does it mean like to be able to break out of like repetitive destructive cycles in our life which are all connected to shame and so i um those have been actually turned into podca- uh podcast and all of the revival talks up to this point are also um available as podcasts so i'm going to try to post some links or try to figure out how to make those a little more accessible or tell you how to get to them i know you can look them up as doc scott talks um and you'll probably find um a whole a whole bunch of things that come up there but anyway um it was really um a blessing to have somebody actually take those on and turn them all into podcasts for me um so that's wonderful but it makes it a little bit easier sometimes to listen to when you don't have to actually watch and then you don't have to worry about like what my hair looks like, um, if my shirt matches, you know, or, um, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, on the way in here this morning, I felt like the Lord gave me a topic and I was like, oh Lord, I don't want to talk about that. I've talked about some of this already, but I feel like I need to talk about it again for some reason, but in a little bit broader context, because what happens in revival is... When we look historically at revivals, I'm going to learn how to talk today. Um, There's a progression in the things that begin to happen. You know, Randy Clark was a really good example of this. Like um, after Toronto, or even during Toronto, um, at the Randy Clark um, healing schools, or, you know, anything that he did with conferences or the Foundations for Healing up in Spokane, Washington, essentially what Randy Clark talked about was. Um, you know, when you see God on something, that you, you go for it, right? Because everything that he's on, like let's say the first time we see cancer get healed, um, then you go for it, right? And so then you know that God is really doing something with cancer. And things would progress and all of a sudden he would have um, people, this happens out of Bethel Redding a lot too, like they would have people who didn't have any metal in their bodies. Um, after they've had pins and all kind of things put in there to fix something and metal began to dissolve and so it's like when you know that God is doing something or he's on something that's why you go for it right you realize that he's just expanded the palette and that's essentially what's been happening with this whole revival that's been initiated in a baptismal pool I mean, if anybody hasn't been looking at Dawsonville lately, you probably should because they've had to bring in like two more baptismal pools because now they have people coming from all over the world and, you know, hundreds of people being baptized every Sunday night. And um, we're going to be we're going to be that uh, we're going to be the um, Dawsonville of the South. I'm being funny, but like um, we're going to be doing a lot more of that, too. And so I think it needs to be happening in a lot of places. And so when God is on something, you just kind of stay on it because it's the way that God's kind of initiated until essentially you don't, until God moves. And I know God's going to expand it. I know it's not always in water, but there's, but, but there is a literally kind of a national kind of vibe and hype growing 
and an awareness of what God is doing in baptism. And so I think that's why it's become so explosive. And it is a powerful, powerful, powerful connecting point. You know, we were talking to a friend of ours the other day, and um, essentially my wife and I, it was like, you know, it's, we talked about how hard it is sometimes to get up in front of people, you know, like in Dawsonville or at Remnant, you know, we'll ask the same question, why are you in the water today? And there is something about that that is also reminiscent of every revival we ever had. And from the standpoint of there's always repentance, there's public repentance, um, you know, there is um, hunger, repentance, etc. And so when people have to stand up front of other people and actually declare something, you know, I'm here because I want to get rid of these 25 addictions, or I'm here because I'm standing in for my family, or I'm here because I have cancer, I'm here because whatever. It's, it's a vulnerability factor that I think God just enters into. It's his way of kind of breaking into our hearts and you literally watch people melt in that kind of vulnerability. And that's kind of what um, I've been talking about when I just talk about this amplified grace. There is a grace in revival that just does things much deeper and quicker and suddenly many times. And we're watching that happen. You know, it's, it's this whole thing of what does it mean when this, you know, cataclysmic convergence of the ages begins to collide and into this revival and um and what happens when we kind of enter his presence in those places it's a place of great concentration of anointing and god just does things that that don't normally happen and so you have a lot of things that happen quite instantaneously but I wanted to address this thing of trans. The thing the Lord spoke to me on the way in was trans everything. And just to briefly encapsulate, what do I, what do I believe that God is going to do with this trans everything kind of gen, uh, generation? I think first it's just good to look at the fact that um, if we look at the brokenness and fractured aspect of our culture, um, then we can see what's happened to it. And we see it more pronounced today than any other time. You know, I was talking to my wife yesterday about um, one of my students and about whether or not she was gonna go to a Christian college. And it was like, you know, I never was the guy that would tell a believer that you probably should go to a Christian university unless you're just absolutely on fire. But when I look at the culture of what lawlessness has done in general in our culture, we live in a we are, live in a lawless culture that says no law applies that says killing babies is fine and lawlessness you know we like to break it up into party lines but it's not as much about party lines as it is just a, the lawlessness in our culture because you can have people on both sides of the parties that are lawless and that whose love has grown cold um, but lawlessness basically promotes unrighteousness. And so everything that's unrighteous is what gets promoted in the culture. And so our culture and our universities have changed so much and so radically that literally um, sending your kid off to a college, this is my opinion, a secular university is like throwing them to the wolves. I look at the generation that I see every single day in my classroom and even in Bible lit, Bible lit class, and I look at the struggles being the same. 
In other words, the intensity of the struggle is the same for the Christian as the non-Christian kid. And that's why, um, you know, I've, I talked a lot about how, you know, when I see that, that makes me ask a question, okay, what is it about what people are experiencing in their Christian life that makes it so that your struggle looks the same as the world's? And honestly, it's because of the intensity. Part of it's the intensity of what's going on. Things, uh, the internet changed the landscape for everything. Um, addiction looks so much, there's so much more prolific. There's so much sexual addiction in every form, fashion you could ever imagine. And the other part of it is, is that a lot of places in the church, we haven't been encounter-oriented, where we encounter Jesus and, and that context, God does something to us. But in the trans world, okay, big word is gender dysphoria, which basically means confusion. Here's the part that the gender dysphoria camp got right. What they got right was, is that there is this sort of continuum and how we experience who we are as male and female. In other words, um, when God said he created us in his image, male and female, if we took male and female and broke it out of gender, let's not talk about the sex of the child or a person, and, and looked at it more as qualities, attributes, or um, embodiments, okay? That means that as men and women, we have both male and female attributes in us. Let me give you an example. Men, oftentimes the masculine, here's what it looks like, right? We, um, and women do this too. Initiate, shape, form, persevere, build, plant. You know, we think about the masculine characteristic as one that is, that penetrates, that builds, that asserts, that, um, that perseveres. And then we look at like the feminine, you know, characteristics of our nature as our capacity to nurture, to love, to embrace, to be able to experience intimacy. If you didn't have that, men, your wife would not want you, okay? So our wives married us because they did see something of that in us, right? So we have to take it out of the construct of what goes into a male, you know, when we talk about gender as male and female as our sex, but look at it as characteristics. In that case, what you see in women, there are women who can build and plant and can also nurture and love and can also receive, right? There are women that can lead and they, and they exercise those abilities to initiate, to shape, to form. There's some women that do that really well. So what the gender camp got right or what the, the trans, Sorry. Uh, no, not you Siri. What they got right was, is that our expression of who we are not every man is like this radical, radical, you know, athletic, yada, yada, yada person. Not every woman is this like soft, feminine, you know, mushy kind of thing either. So in other words, within the realm of who we are as human beings created in God's image, there is a broad expression of both the masculine and the feminine in us as a creature. Okay, they got that part what they got right was that there was the difference, that there is this kind of continuum of attributes that any given man or woman can possess that are either masculine or feminine. Masculine, I'm going to define as being shape, form, 
um, persevere, build, construct, you know, tear up. Um, and I'll say feminine would be more of the capacity to nurture, love, um, intuit. Men can intuit too. It's a feminine characteristic. Does that make sense? So when we look at individual people, some people are more intact in one or both places, right? You have men who are totally cut off from the feminine, which means they don't feel, they're not sensitive, they don't, they don't know how to listen in a conversation, they don't know how to do any of those things, and so women would see them as very cut off, and that's probably a major complaint of a lot of women when it comes to men. Essentially, what they're saying is, is that the feminine component of what it means to be created in God's image in their husband is lacking. If the masculine, that ability to build shape and form, is broken in a woman's husband, that means that they have a hard time initiating. They're passive. They don't, they don't, they don't lead or initiate in any place because that part of them is underdeveloped. So look at gender that way, and that's the part they got right. Here's where they got it wrong. Because there is a broad expression of masculine and feminine within the creature as men, gender men, and gender women, they say that because of that continuum, then therefore, comma, wherever you are on the continuum changes who you are as an essential man or woman, which is not true. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not, I'm not a woman trapped in a man's body. You know, that, like that part's just totally erroneous. And so they recognize that in a culture that was broken, that you do see a broader expression of what masculine and feminine looks like, but they associated it with gender sex roles. So that if a young, if a woman feels like she's more masculine or she has more of that capacity that to want to build and plant or she wants to play sports, you know, she wants to wrestle, whatever, then they say she's her she's transgender, meaning she's somewhere on this continuum where she feels like she's more like a man than a woman. That's where they got it wrong. And so when you when we look at trans, we have to look at trans everything in the same way that we look at any form of broken sexuality, and that is this. In a culture that is fragmented, where the institutions that God designed are broken, like marriage, radically broken, what you will see is you will see the fragmentation of that culture, and it will play out in brokenness. Because all forms of sexuality are symbolic in, the, in terms of they point to the need and the deficit that the person is missing. So, for example, it's a same-sex wound. If I remember um, uh, talking to um, a young lady in college. You know, she was a lesbian. You know, basically, she disconnected completely from the feminine because she saw her mom as a doormat. And her dad was strong, you know, he was egotistical, kind of false masculine, but she looked at that equation and she disavowed her own womanhood and said, if that's what it means to be a woman, I don't want to be one. And so this, the, the same sex wound is her need to connect with the part of her she disconnected from. So essentially, that's what sexual struggles are about. They symbolically point to the places where we have deficit. Deficits are always things that are perceived. In other words, 
it doesn't matter whether we had present father and mother in the equation. What really matters is what we perceived and what we got out of it. What, what was our takeaway in terms of how we felt affirmed in it or not affirmed in it? And so, um, fragmented culture, we've watched the whole thing of marriage. We've watched this whole thing of divorce. You know, today it's more common. Um, I can't make any assumptions about family structure. Family structure is as diverse as it comes. And that's not a judgment, but it is a statement about the ongoing bedrock of our, of our culture and how it's fractured. And then it gives rise to this multiplicity of forms of trans everything kind of identity. It makes total sense that if the family part is really screwed up, that our kids are going to have some issues and identity regardless. You know, we know from research about the role of a father, and we know what fatherless looks like in a culture, right? We know that fathers call forth both their sons and daughters into a place of separating their identity from their, uh, their, their mother, right? So a father's voice in adolescence calls forth a young man to separate his identity from his mother in the same way it does for a daughter. You know, we're calling them out and to be their own. And so in the context of revival, and there's a lot that I, I you know, I could talk about the whole thing of broken sexuality for hours, but I wanted to Sorry, put it in the context of revival. In the context of revival, there is a grace that is going to be released and is being released to heal every form of dysphoria in gender, period. There is a grace being released to heal the schisms that people have in their souls and the places that they're disconnected from, some of the places that they needed to be affirmed and they weren't from all of the things that we're supposed to get put into, look, there's no reparenting, right? We don't go back and reparent, but we have a parent in Jesus. He's the only one that can actually fulfill a need that we didn't get met somewhere along the way. And again, perception is reality. So it's not about whether or not anybody intended to hurt or wound or deprive us or neglect us in places. It's based on what we perceived. So, I believe, and I'll just say this prophetically, that there's going to be, even in the context of revival, we're going to see people who have actually changed their gender be restored and made whole again and put back to their original intent. Because all of what God wants to do in anything that's broken is to restore it to its original intent, as if it were never broken. Regardless of what we're talking about, if we're talking about cancer, he wants to go back to original intent, right? The intent was that we had a healthy body that was cancer-free, that didn't have anything wrong with it, right? That was whole. So everything that's being restored, if Jesus is restoring all things, then in the context of revival, everything that has been broken or distorted or altered or doesn't line up is going to reline up in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven sets everything right all the time. The kingdom of heaven breaks every curse, restores everything back to its original intent, 
restores innocence, you know, breaks off shame. The kingdom of heaven restores who we are as men and women. The kingdom of heaven heals the very things that are broken in us that literally um, caused us to move in various places with our addictions. If you want to know what people need, look at where they're addicted. <laughs> if you look at where people are addicted, you'll get a hint on what their core need is. I remember talking to a young lady in college and she was very promiscuous and I wasn't judging, but I was like, but why? You know, and you know, she did have a big thing with her father, never really felt affirmed by dad. And she said, it's not about the sex, it's actually about the part where she gets held. See, the legitimate longing is for intimacy. And that's why even in, in a pornified generation, what Jesus is restoring to his, this generation is their capacity for intimacy. That is the part that God, the enemy rather, wanted to destroy. He wanted to destroy our capacity to love, our capacity to experience intimacy. So in that, we see all kinds of many forms. And I think the thing that we're going to have to begin to do and look like more as the church is we're going to have to not judge and we're going to have to let people come through the gate and we're going to have to be willing to love them and let Jesus do the part that heals them. I do think in the context of revival, we are not, we are going to see healings in people's sexuality and mental illness. We're going to see mental illnesses healed. Um, all of those things are going to be healed as people come into the water, into the presence, and make, or any conduit of the Holy Spirit in revival. And it's going to be a suddenly. Um, why do I think suddenly? Because if we look at how fractured, all we have to do is go back to a generation to a generation. My parents' generation, they didn't get divorced, right? They might have had bad marriages, but they didn't get divorced. I, I'm, I'm one of those people who got divorced and got remarried. I know what it's done to my children, right? Um, but if we go back a few generations, what we see in the generation as it progresses is there's an increase in lawlessness, the embracing of unrighteousness. Lawlessness says everything goes. So everything that's immoral, everything that um, is a broken expression of sexuality, all of those things are acceptable. And... When you see the increased fragmentation in a culture, you're going to see you're going to see that play out in their, the culture's capacity to experience intimacy. When we break down the relational components that make us who are uh, who we are, like family unit, uh, connection to, to our parents, et cetera, et cetera, the further out that one goes, the more shame-based the culture becomes. For one. And shame drives every single addiction, right? Because we agree with it, right? The enemy brings, you know, like incites the addiction. And the addiction, we stay in it because we think that we're defective anyway. So, but we're going to see that kind of exponentially in the culture. We're in that place now. There, could, there has never been a day like today where... Um, I would say the most pornified generation ever, the most broken sexually. And I think the thing that um, the intent of heaven in that is he's going to inhabit our weakness, but he's going to do it suddenly. 
And I think that's the big difference in revival. If I looked at just myself or people I know or any kid in the room or my own kids, you know, we would look at them and say, well, they're going to be in therapy for 25 years to get through some of this, right? I don't think we're on the long plan. I think we're on the short plan. And I think that God has always had a plan for redeeming and restoring all things in his creation, even within us. And so I believe that we're going to see things take place quickly and suddenly. And people are going to experience radical healing and radical change. They're going to come up out of the waters of baptism or whatever the conduit of the Holy Spirit is. And they're going to be find themselves whole with things that were broken missing. That is the simplicity of the gospel, that we have healing and health in every area of our life. Just because we don't see that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because we haven't witnessed it yet in revival doesn't mean it isn't coming. So I'm just saying prophetically, you're going to see um, mental illness is healed. People are going to go in as schizophrenic and come out whole. People are going to go in and bipolar and come out whole. Um, another big indicator. How many people, if you want an indicator of fragmented, broken, bedrock culture, mental illness. I mean, I saw a commercial the other day, you know, where this guy was laughing and then crying and they had a pill for it. And I was like, dang, they haven't been to our church. What if I'm laughing and crying in the same hour? You know, like everything is a disorder. And I'm not saying there's not a lot of disorder. There is. I think a lot of things are radically overdiagnosed. Um, I think a lot of it is really PTSD, a big part of a lot of things because of what we've already been through and what kids have already experienced. But we see more mental illness being treated at an early age. When you have a first grader who's being diagnosed as bipolar, which is way before that kind of diagnosis has ever been made in history. Like in other words, we don't usually do that at age six. It's usually something that we would see manifest down the road. When we see kindergarten and first graders who are heavily medicated, that tells me and all of us something about how fractured the soul has become in our culture. And so we are a fractured soul culture, but revival, Jesus is releasing the kind of grace that is going to heal the deep rift and fractures in our soul. And it's going to come out and be released as the greater capacity to love than ever before. Because when God inhabits weakness, he goes for all of it. The place of my greatest struggle, my greatest brokenness, will become the place of my greatest strength. That is kingdom math. So what does that mean? It means that this, I've been saying this, this is a love revolution. This is a generation that God is going to create and imbue in them the capacity to be the greatest lovers the world has ever seen. The enemy has come at this generation with every form of distorted sexuality. It's all depicted in what they're watching on their phone and essentially attempted to destroy their sense of who they are and their capacity for intimacy. 
He's come in with the lie that says, if you're cut off from this part of you and you, and you don't feel like you ever connected to the same sex, then you've got to be trans something. The enemy is the one who put gender and who we are as men and women on the continuum. We are created in God's image as male and female, and we have both capacities. But the enemy has distorted what is a capacity into what is my gender. So if you're wherever you are on that continuum, you become you know, more female and you're half male and half female and half this and ha I mean, it's crazy, right? Now we're trans everything. And saying that, I'm not judging it. And saying that, I'm saying we need to be the compassionate long arm of redemption of heaven to a generation. That his arm is very long. His arm of redemption is extremely long. And he can pull anybody out of anything. God is the God of the impossible. And there's nothing that is beyond them. The same God that raises people from the dead can put a person's body back together after they've changed it. Does that seem so far-fetched? And if he doesn't do that for them, then we're going to love the one who walks through the door. And we're going to know that everyone that comes to the door can be redeemed. And there isn't anything because the essential thing he wants to redeem is my personhood. He wants to redeem me as a human being. And so whatever form or shape, they come in the door. And they are. The prodigals are coming and they're a mess. We've been a mess and we get it, but this is probably the messiest generation the world's ever seen or known. And that just gives me great hope because what that means for me is that Jesus has got a big plan. And so because he wastes nothing, I don't care where they've been in their pursuit of supernatural in illegitimate ways or in their pursuit of every form of sexuality and gender um, or where they've been at in their pursuit of supernatural, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every illegitimate form, I don't care how dark it has been, every part of that, it will be redeemed. And because there is no, there is no, even darkness is light to God. And so therefore, comma, there isn't a darkness that he does not and cannot penetrate. Everything is redeemed and nothing is wasted. He is going to use their broken sexuality, their broken everything, and he's going to raise them up as a generation who knows love more than any other generation inhabiting their weakness and they will lead a revolution of love on the planet period and i don't care what kind of mental illness i don't care what expression of sexuality i don't our gender or whatever he can restore it and he is restoring all things to their original intent heaven's intent is being realized on the planet in revival and the good news is, it's going to happen a lot faster.
because there's no time for all of us to do the 25 year long program. Jesus is releasing and will release suddenlies in healing and we will watch people who we think are the most messed up on the planet become whole. It's already happened in Dawsonville. One of my favorite testimonies, I'm going to close with this. There was a girl, you know, and I won't get it exactly right, but she basically had cut herself all over her body and she was a cutter. And when she went into the water, um, she noticed that the scars were all gone from her arms. And then when she went into the dressing room, she realized she started screaming and people came in there and she realized that all the places that she had been cutting herself that weren't as visible were all healed as well with only one scar remaining and it was one that was the form of a cross so jesus removes even the scars from our body that point to the very sickness and the very deprivation and the very thing sin that we were engaged in like self-destruction he removed even the shame of the self-destruction from this girl's body so that there was no evidence that's so jesus we've had they've had other people come up out of the water who would have tried to commit suicide i don't know how many times diagnosis every kind of diagnosis out there you can imagine and they they're standing there on the stage giving testimony in their right mind, full of joy, fully connected to Jesus. Come on. Tell me that's not what God's after. I'm not the least bit worried about the brokenness of a generation or how much more magnified it is, how much greater it seems. It is. It's multiplied. It's been exponential, right? Not worried about it at all. Because Jesus is going to enter into that mess and he's going to restore. Everything is being restored to him and back to its original intent. And we're going to see in revival restoration as a suddenly, as a suddenly. They go in the water, they come into the presence, whatever the conduit of presence is, because in his presence we become, we become everything. His presence restores everything to original intent. And we cannot do it apart from his presence. But he made us, and so only he can heal us and change us. And he knows exactly how to do it, and it's not hard. We can't look at things as being this is more challenging than that. It's all easy for Jesus. It's very easy. The God that raises the dead can resurrect you and me and a generation who's trans everything and who's given themselves to absolutely every kind of addiction and is the most pornified they'll be the biggest lovers and there is a absolute testimony because they will march forth as the manifest sons of god and daughters of god with the word of the testimony of jesus on their lips and they will be releasers of healing and they will be the healers of the breach in jesus name bless you guys i know that was a little all over the place still still working on some of this but thanks for joining and i'll put some stuff out there where i've got things on podcast love you all tell me what you guys think <laughs> all right blessings